Cleveland.com's Chris Fedor joining us here on The Fan. Chris, thanks for giving us a few minutes. How are you doing tonight? You got it, man. How are you? I'm good. Just so you know, I have financially recovered from the largest uh, gambling bet of my <laughs> life with the Browns losing to the Texans. Uh, we haven't talked since then, so I figured I'd, I'd keep you posted on that. How long did it take to recover from that? Honestly, not long. The, the way that the right. gambling world works, you'd think it would take me a lot longer. I look back and I, I track my bets and everything, and I'm like, it didn't yeah. take me that long. It was, all things considered, not really that big of a deal. But uh, the pain of that loss was, was pretty big there, Chris. Oh, my goodness. Doubly big. See, that's the problem with betting on home teams, right? If it doesn't come through, you're pained more than you normally are. Yeah, that's why some people like to hedge their bets almost, right? And so they'll bet against the team and the thing they want yeah. to have happen so that at least they're they're happy one way or another. It's not a bad recipe. I just, I you know, one team I have been betting on is the Cavs lately, and they've been covering everything, which has been awesome. Uh, I, I don't know if it's just because they shoot a lot of threes now or if this is something that is here to stay. Uh, is my wallet safe betting on the Cavs moving forward? And I know you cover the team, so you can't comment as far as gambling is concerned. Uh, but how good do we feel about the Cavs? Yeah, I think there's reasons to feel really good about the Cavs. I think besides Boston, they're right there in the conversation with the best team in the Eastern Conference. And we understand that Boston is on a different level, probably a different level than any other team around the NBA. But if you want to toss in Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Indiana, New York, any of those teams, the Cavs are right there with all of them. And for them to be in this place, Jonathan, where they're second in the Eastern Conference, they're 19-4 and four since December 16th. They won 14 of the last 15. For them to be where they are, despite everything that they've dealt with at the beginning of the season and the slow start, the injuries, um, trying to figure out what was going to work, what wasn't going to work, and embracing this new identity, uh, they should feel really, really good about where they are and, and what they can become by the end of the season because I think this is the kind of team that is set up to be even better at the end of the season if they still if they stay healthy if they continue to come together um, they have an opportunity to be at their best going into the playoffs which is what every team wants well where does that growth come from in particular well I think you're going to reintegrate Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and I think both those guys are going to continue to find their place within the offense um, see where they fit on the defensive end of the floor as well I think the guys that they have leaned on during this stretch, um, some of them that were getting DNPs, some of them that were getting limited minutes, there's more trust built in. There's an idea of if J.B. Bickerstaff has to go to them, he knows that he has a general idea of what they're going to provide on a nightly basis. So I think those kinds of guys, being able to rely on them a little bit more down the stretch, um, during the, the, the playoff push, I think is going to be important. And I think the more familiarity that Darius and Donovan get with each other, the more familiarity that Max Struess gets playing alongside Evan Mobley, something that he hasn't really had as much of an opportunity to do at the beginning of the season, um, I think that two-man game can continue to expand. I think the pick-and-roll game between Darius Garland and Jared Allen can continue to expand. So I think there are just like little pockets throughout the rotation where these guys can continue to grow um, and, and, and continue to build on what they've already established here. Where do you stand on the on Jason Lloyd's take about uh, Evan Mobley saying that he needs to be shooting a, a lot of threes? We first talked about it last week, Chris. I was like, yes, 
He needs to shoot as many threes as he can. And if it costs you a couple games in the process even, then okay, fine. That's a great development for Evan Mobley. It's a great development for the Cavs. But now I see them having a legitimate shot at the two seed because they're the two seed right now. And I don't know. Having the two seed might mean enough where you say maybe maybe we don't need to do some of these experiments during the games and try to figure this out. And maybe we just kind of take what we have right now and, and go with it. I start here, Jonathan. If, if you are one of those people that is out there focusing on the one thing that Evan can't do well at this stage of his development, then you are missing so many promising things. Look, he is one of the premier defensive players in the entire NBA. He is a great weak side defender. He is a great perimeter defender. He can test a ton of shots. He's a great rim protector. He can switch and guard one through five on the offensive end of the floor. He's a really, really good roller after screening. He um, has gotten better as a passer and a playmaker, playing out of the pocket, playing in the post, playing at the elbow. You see him rebounding and running and pushing the break and making sure that the Cavs continue to play with that kind of pace. Like, yeah, he needs to develop more of an outside shot as his career goes on. Yeah, he needs to shoot that shot with a little bit more confidence than what you've seen at the beginning of the season from Evan. But like, if you're only focusing on that and saying what he can't do, you're missing all the things that he can do. And I just don't think it's best for Evan or best for the Cavs for, for one of their best players around the rim to start hovering out to the perimeter and making things easier on opposing defenses. Like, Defenses want Evan to shoot that outside shot. They want him to be hanging out on the perimeter so that he's not creating havoc in the paint around the rim. And I just don't think you want somebody who shoots at 20% from three-point range to chuck threes like he's Steph Curry or Donovan <laughs> Mitchell because he's not. He's not George Niang. He's not Dean Wade. He's Evan Mobley. He's got his own skill set that makes him unique makes him an incredible asset for this team and makes him an impactful player at both ends of the floor on a nightly basis. If he's going to take some because he's wide open and they come within the flow of the offense, sure, I'm fine with that. You can't pass up those kinds of looks. But Evan Mobley's starting to force shots just for the sake of forcing shots and their three-point shots that he doesn't shoot at a high level? No, I can't get on board with that. I don't think that's good for Evan, and I don't think that's good for the Cavs. Now, what happened when Evan was gone where it felt like Jared Allen took a massive step forward? Was that was that just a Jared Allen happened to take a step forward, or do you think there was a product of something something between the two of them and maybe occupying some of the same space that was part of the reason why? Oh, yeah, I think that was a big part of that, right? Um, you started to see the Cavs, Jonathan, play more four-shooter lineups, and instead of, you know, um, a congested court, especially around the paint and around the rim, um, Evan Mobley became Dean Wade or George Niang, where those guys play outside on the perimeter, and it gives Jared Allen more room to operate. There's less congestion inside. There are fewer defenders in his path when he tries to get to the rim. And the other thing that happened, and you know this, Jonathan, production oftentimes in sports is a product of opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the first few months of the season, um, while Evan was healthy and while Darius was healthy, uh, Jared Allen was sixth on the team in touches per game. Sixth. He was getting about as many touches per game as George Niang. Think about that. Wow. Yeah. 
when Evan Mobley went out, Darius Garland went out, the hierarchy of the offense changed, and Jared Allen vaulted to third on the team in total touches per game behind just Donovan Mitchell and Max Struess. So he was getting more touches. He had more space to work with. He was more involved on the offensive end, and he was still doing all the elite stuff that he does on the defensive end of the floor. And I think the other thing that happened is he looked at the situation and he said, look, Evan's not out there. I got to step it up. I got to play better on defense. I got to play better on offense. Everybody here on this team has to do a little bit more, including me as one of the leaders of this team. I've got to step my game up. He challenged himself and um, he answered that challenge. Chris, I'm a big Donovan Mitchell fan. Uh, maybe just I just like good basketball is all it comes down to. I mm-hmm. think he, I think he's exceptional. Uh, why do you feel like some Cavs fans just refuse to wrap their arms around Donovan Mitchell? I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. I had somebody um, that that tweeted at me the other day. Do we still call it tweeting at people? Is it Xing? I at say, people tw- I say tweeting. Yeah, I'm not into the okay. Xing thing. It sounds a little dirty right. if I'm saying Xing at you. Yeah. So I had somebody tweet at me the other day, and they were like, oh, Donovan Mitchell is no longer playing hero ball. And I'm like, <laughs> when has Donovan Mitchell ever played hero ball? Like, this is a guy, Jonathan, who since coming into the NBA has never missed the playoffs. So it is clear that his style and the way that he approaches the game, it translates to winning like, this is a guy who elevates teams. This is a guy who elevates teammates. And I just don't understand why this city just hasn't wrapped their arms around him and embraced him to the level that they have with other guys that have come through here. Like, this is a guy who is going to be in the MVP conversation every single year, as long as he's here in Cleveland. This is a guy who had a career year last year, his first year um, in Cleveland. And he, he taught the Cavs how to win, and they – he took them, he helped take them to a different level where they went from 44 wins at a play-in tournament team to 51 wins in a playoff team. Just because he had like one bad week and a half and it happened at the wrong time against the New York Knicks on the playoff stage where the Cavs were not competitive in that series, like that isn't a reflection of, of who Donovan is or that isn't to say that all of a sudden he plays hero ball. Like this is a great player that is doing things at a very, very high level on a nightly basis. And um, he's, he's helped contribute to this style that the Cavs have started to embrace. And without him, they certainly wouldn't be anything close to what they are right now. Having watched both, which one are you more impressed by? Which one do you think is better in a Cavs uniform, Donovan Mitchell or Kyrie Irving? Oh, come on. Are you serious? <laughs> like, Donovan's only been here for a year and a half. And, and let's see if he can help this team take the next step. Because we understand, like, he came here, expectations changed, um, and the pressure mounted a little bit more, and he helped them take the step that this organization needed to take, go from play-in tournament to play-off team. Now that they are a playoff team and they've had regular season success, winning 51 games last year, like he's going to have to show that he can take them to the next step, which is get them out of the first round of the playoffs and maybe get to the conference finals. Um, and I'm not saying that like Kyrie could solely do that on his own, but he had help. He had LeBron. Duh. He had Kevin Love. He had a really talented team around him. But if Donovan finds a way to get this team out of the first round of the playoffs, 
then I think we can start having that conversation. I but could, Kyrie yeah. Irving still is the second best player and second most important player in franchise history. All right, let me ask you this. I'm going to play a clip for you, and uh, you're a part of this clip, okay? This is, I'm going to go after the Magic game, but there's a reason why I'm going to play it, okay? This is uh, okay. you and Sam Merrill, and here we go. Have you ever participated in a three-point contest at any yes. level? <laughs> no, I have not. Yes. No. Would you want to? Yes. Not sure what I'm supposed to say to that. <laughs> I was really looking forward to All-Star break to go play some golf. So we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Your teammates have already started it on Clearly. Yeah, we will see what happens with that. <laughs> Okay, I just needed you to clear it up because I'm a little confused. I, I I I railed on this that night too. I was like, he wants to he can play golf anytime. Pebble Beach will be waiting for him. It's no big deal. And then Donovan last night comes out, as you know, and Donovan was like, Yeah, I guess you know, Sam didn't really want to do it, so I guess I'm stepping up and doing it. Is that really how that went down, or was he sarcastic there and suggesting he wanted to play golf? From everything that that I know in, in my conversations with Sam, both on and off the record. Um, he wants to be with his family during All-Star break, and he already had something scheduled with his family during All-Star break. And I just don't think he cares enough about the three-point contest <laughs> to change all of those plans. He is a family man to the core, and he has been for a long, long time. Um, and I think he was being completely serious when he said that. He just wants to golf and spend time with his family. It's supposed to be a break for a reason, and not everybody's <laughs> going to just change all of their plans um, and participate in these three-point contests or the skills challenge or whatever the case may be. It's different for Donovan because he's already going to be there, right? Like, mm -hmm. he already has to change his plans. But for Sam, like, to change his plans, not golf, not spend time with the family, just to go to Indianapolis for the three-point contest, I just don't sense that that appeals to him all that much. It's wild because I thought he was serious at the time and I did take it serious and then I thought about it and I'm like, maybe he wasn't actually serious because like, like if you win the three-point competition and you're Sam Merrill, that's legitimately like the first thing in your obituary, Chris. Like that's a big deal. <laughs> it's true. I mean, for somebody like that who has been fighting so hard just to get consistent minutes, you would think that, that he wants that one under his belt, but I guess not. Yeah, we we both love a good golf uh, round, so I guess I guess we can't be too judgy. Uh, Chris, thank you as always, man. I, you know I think you're one of the best in the business. I appreciate you giving us a few minutes, and uh, hopefully we can catch up with you later. Thank you, Chris. Catch.